Hello and welcome to the Foundation for Science and Technology. This month we're focusing on the topic of research collaboration with China, how and when to collaborate with Chinese counterparts in R&D and issues that arise from that. With me to discuss that is Professor Dale Sanders, Director of the John Innes Centre. Professor Sanders, welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted to be here and thank you for inviting me. So just before we discuss China, for those listening who are not familiar with it, can you just give us a brief introduction to the John Innes Centre itself? Sure. Well, the John Innes Centre was founded in 1910, actually, as the John Innes Institute for Horticultural Research. And we focus exclusively these days on plant and microbial research. And we cover the spectrum all the way from understanding the basic rules of life right the way through to, for example, getting our understanding out into the agricultural fields. So it's a very broad spectrum. And on the microbial side, it relates mainly to discovery of new molecules for biomedical research, particularly around antibiotics, where we've made real progress through working with fungi such as streptomyces. Fantastic. So let's focus now a little bit on China, which is the topic of the conversation. When did you yourself first start collaborating with colleagues in China? So the John Innes Center um, has been hosting Chinese nationals since the very early days of the opening up of China. So since 1979, when Xu Liheng was a researcher here, he went on to become the president of Peking University and deputy president of the Chinese Academy of Sciences. But in terms of form, and we've hosted many, many Chinese nationals here to do research. In terms of formal collaborations, that came just after the Icelandic volcano in, I think it was 2011, when I found myself in Beijing and unable to get back to, to the UK and started talking to Chinese alumni about the possibility of, of forming a, a joint centre. So we formed this Centre of Excellence in Plant Microbial Sciences, and that has been going since, I guess, around 2012, 2013, and is, is truly a, a, a joint effort. And what are the current collaborations you and colleagues in the John Innes Centre have? How are things going overall? I would say they couldn't be stronger. In, in the research area. So we have a number of one-on-one -on -one research projects. So these are group leaders in each of, of a couple of institutes, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about those, but they are group leader led and relate to individual projects. But then we have wider collaborations with two Chinese Academy of Sciences institutes one of which is the Institute for Genetics and Development of Biology in Beijing, one of which is, is called SEMPS, which is in uh, Shanghai, and that's also a Chinese Academy of Sciences Institute. And we, those institutes are participants in our, in our Centre of Excellence for Plant Microbial Sciences. So the way in which we collaborate there is we have joint appointments joint group leaders. We now have 10 or 11 joint group leaders. They're all based in China, but they have a JIC, John Innes Center affiliation. And we have a, an annual symposium 
we've just had one two weeks ago at which the um, joint group leaders present that whole CPAMS exercise is overseen by an international science advisory board and where they will come back and comment on how well we are doing. And then rather separately from that, we have a collaboration with the Chinese Academy of Agricultural Sciences at their um, Agricultural Genomics Institute in Shenzhen. And the nature of that collaboration is they are sequencing, genome sequencing, around 800 varieties of pre-Green Revolution wheat and around 600 varieties of legumes that we hold here in JIC. And the significance, I think, of the wheat project is that a lot of the genetic diversity in wheat has been lost over the last over the last decade post green revolution and we can delve down into the genomes and rediscover that genetic diversity and then working with chinese breed that into new varieties so you described how you started at least some of this work in 2011 but have had collaborators with china actually for for many years how would you say research in China has changed over the last decade or, or even sort of decade and a half? Maybe I can stretch that question back to the last 30 years or something when I was a PhD student. Give me a, a whole overview. Yeah. 30 years ago, I, there was, um, I have to say, there was not a Chinese paper that was worth looking at. It was phenomenological. It, it seemed inconsequential to me. The way things have changed, particularly over the last 15 years, I think the Chinese scientists as researchers have become completely equals to the West and are respected as equals. So it's this the relationship that we have with the three institutes that I mentioned is one of equality and one where of mutual respect and one where There is much less emphasis, I think, in China on application than there was, say, 30 years ago. And there is this spirit of, I would say, a mixed economy, which we have here at the John Innes Centre, which is of understanding the basic rules of life, but also of of applying that understanding for the benefit of humanity. And and I think the, the conceptual links are really up there in terms of mutual understanding and that uh, it's been reflected in the way the science has been developed so it's it's cutting edge science now which it wasn't always and that's a phenomenal change in a relatively small period of time how has that come about i think it's come about through a through a recognition that china should be prominent on the world stage in terms of in terms of research it's come about through appointments in china many of whom have trained in in the west many, um, many of our collaborators have have worked here at the jic over the over the years and it's been reflected in a in a in the way that science developed i guess decades ago in the, in the uk and in the US and the rest of Europe to to bring them into the into the world of being a research superpower, if you want to call it that way. But they they are that. And I think 
I think a, a recognition of the fact that you need, in order to deliver to the economy, the agricultural economy, you need to be doing the uh, the basic research as well as the as well as the more applied research. We've been looking back a little bit on research collaboration with China. What do you think the main opportunities are in 2022 for collaboration and, and actually how will that develop over the next few years? Well, I'd like to think that opportunities are still bottom up, that we we in, in the John Innes Centre operate a policy whereby each of our 40 or so group leaders designs their own programme, but that, of course, is framed within a wider context, so that addresses, uh, come back to your question. And I think the same philosophy operates in in all of the three institutes that that we collaborate with in China. So that's the the sort of mechanics and operation of, of things. How will it develop in the next few years? I think the opportunities for 2022 relate to also to the long-term prospects and problems that we face globally. And those are two issues that re- relate to the, uh, the work that we jointly do together. Uh, one of which is the impact of agriculture on the environment. And the other of which is the impact of the environment on agriculture. And so in the first case, the impact of agriculture on the environment, we're looking at a a position where agriculture is responsible for 30% of greenhouse gas emissions. That's enormous, far bigger than aviation. And that's an issue that that has to be addressed. On the other side, the impact of of, um, the environment on agriculture, we will have 2 billion more mouths to feed by 2050. How are we going to do that without impacting on biodiversity and retaining all of that that valuable resource material that we as humans need to discover new new drugs, to discover how those drugs are made by by plants and microbes? So I think that there's that longer term vision, which, which has a much more global aspect. And that's where I really look forward to collaborating with with, uh, Chinese um, investigators. They get it and we get it. It's a really interesting set of topics. Early on in your response, you talked about the fact that collaborators collaborate bottom up from the Johnny Centre, and that's very typical across UK structures. And I was just going to ask you whether you thought in general, collaboration between the UK and China can just happen organically at that bottom-up level, or the extent to which it needs some kind of government-to-government interaction, some level of intervention and support by the UK government? It does need financial support. You can't just do it remotely. You do need to have these joint projects co-funded. We in the UK have funded activities, and particularly we pump-primed them in the past, that funding uh, really rather with the um, drying up of the Global Challenges Research Fund has become more difficult, but there needs to be some kind of intervention that's not, uh, it's it's public sector, I think. Since the John Innes Centre, I didn't explain, is a, is a charity, we're not a private business. So it does need public sector fu- funding. But I think also what we're seeing on the Chinese side 
is an enormous amount of funding going into new group leaders who are based in, in Shanghai and Beijing and in terms of genome sequencing, which is prohibitively expensive in terms of what we do here. So there's a lot of funding coming in from, from China. And at the moment, we are, I think there does need to be, to answer your question, that, that element of, of public sector funding. So there's always issues to do with international collaboration systems or whatever are different between countries. But what are the specific challenges of collaboration between the UK and China? I'll answer from, a, from an agricultural research perspective, not more generally around um, technologies. The big challenge over the last two years, you can guess it, has been COVID. And so I used to meet personally with three times a year, maybe in in China with with colleagues. And those personal interactions have face-to-face interactions dried up, although, of course, they're they're happening virtually. And the, the symposium we held two weeks ago was of course a virtual one. And it's sad not to get those those one-to-one interactions which result in the spark that leads to a new research project or something, something like that. I would not say from my own perspective that I've encountered any other challenges. It's been completely smooth going. I think I, one of the things I, I would say has, has been that I've really enjoyed has been the openness, frankness, and willingness to share data. And honestly, I cannot think of anything else apart from COVID that has been a challenge. There are sometimes concerns expressed about research collaboration with China, for example, in the area of protection of intellectual property. To what extent do you think some of these concerns are justified? So I I suppose in relation to your previous question, maybe I didn't say that some of the challenges that I do face are are not with Chinese collaborators, but it's with UK interests who question exactly in the way that you have done about IP and who will take and own IP. I have to say that in, in terms of our big genome sequencing project, and it is huge. The wheat genome is is something is many times the size of the human genome. So you can imagine with eight hundred varieties, there's there's a lot of sequencing going on. Those data are analysed and put in the public domain absolutely rapidly from China. So we're operating from Institute in Shenzhen. So we're operating very much at an open level, where there is IP involved, we discuss as we would with any other collaborator, be it a UK collaborator, a a collaborator in the rest of Europe or in the US, how that IP should be apportioned. And that goes very smoothly. Having said that, we don't, at the level at which we operate, the, the funding, the income stream from the IP is not is not huge in the same way as it is from, say, an agritech multinational. So I think the challenges I face, just to go back to your previous question, are mainly from the UK. And are you sure you should be doing the right? Are you sure you're doing the right thing? Won't the IP question come up? It doesn't. It's all very open. 
That's very interesting. And I'm, I'm interested to see whether that's shared across many other collaborators and other disciplines. I, yeah. I guess we'll have to see. One of the other concerns that's sometimes expressed, and not actually to do with Chinese researchers at all, but to do with the actions of the Chinese state, and these often uh, involve human rights issues. To what extent do you think that these should feed into questions of research collaboration? Yes, that's a good question, and it's one we've debated at the John Innes Centre several times. My own view is that science is a good means of communication, and of course the people we interact with as scientists are, are not responsible for the Chinese state's actions on, on human rights. That doesn't mean to say that one is not concerned about them, but there are human rights issues in many countries. And if I could be frank, you know, we, we in Europe regard state-sponsored execution as a violation of human rights, and that's still practiced in the US. But that doesn't affect our ability to collaborate with US scientists. And I'm not diminishing the issue of human rights in China. And of course, one is concerned about it. But I think, I think to answer your question in a really deeper way, I see scientific research as a way of keeping communication channels open between states in, in a non-confrontational way. You can't influence things by not talking with people. I think it's not our role as a, as a research institute to start commenting on human rights, whatever my personal opinion on them is. And indeed, we're our view is that we don't participate in those kind of political issues, whatever they are, whether they're domestic or international. We go for where the science is and where the public good is. And, and I think I see public good happening here and in China in terms of our interactions. I hope I'm not dodging the question. No, not at all. It, it's definitely a difficult question. And as you say, People have been debating this in institutions that have collaborations with China off and on for several years. Well, let's finish on a more upbeat note then. And thinking wider than the Johnny Centre, but the UK as a whole, how would you like to see UK-China research collaborations developing over the next five years? Well, you're asking us a research scientist, and obviously I'd like to say more funding. <laughs> Fair so, enough. But that, needs, that does need to be done sensibly. And the way I'd like to see that happening is through more, I suppose, one-to-one -one collaborations, more the bottom-up approach that has been so successful here. So it needs, it needs to be supported financially, but it can't just be a top-down, here's how we're going to do things. There needs to be quality control at both ends in terms of you know who one's collaborating with to get the to get the best researchers on on both sides interacting that can only come from the scientific community but then there does need to be a commitment to support that and think about about how that might move and i i should say that you know when we were starting out just to go back to your initial questions we had a, a lot of enthusiasm from the Chinese side to collaborate. And we thought about forming a joint institute in the same way as has happened from institutes in, in France and Germany. 
and pulled away from that, that it would be too, had the potential to become too ossified, if you like, that, that it wouldn't be sufficiently flexible. And the way things have panned out in this flexible way in which we, we have a centre of excellence, a joint centre of excellence, but it's based in in other institutes, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean a, a joint building or something substantive like that. It, but it means substantive science. Well, let's see how all of that develops. That's all we've got time for today. But Professor Dale Saunders, thank you very much. Thank you, Gavin. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Professor Dale Saunders, director of the John Innes Centre. The subject of UK-China R&D collaboration will be discussed at an event being organised by the Foundation on the 27th of April. Details of that event and how to register, which is completely free, can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Also on our website are details of all our other events, all our blogs and all previous editions of this podcast. Until next time, goodbye.